seated again. Welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. It is a joy uh, to see all of you guys here this morning. Uh, and, and if you weren't with us on Wednesday, man, that was a, just, a, just a big win for our church on Wednesday night, kicking off our Winter Equip Night series for the all church, kids, youth, everybody. Um, and, and so we had a, a meal at 6.30. Uh, we did some teaching from uh, 7.05 to about, supposed to be 7.35, but you know how it went. Went to 745, um, and then um, some Q&A discussion and prayer. And so um, each week, we're going to kind of, in that time, going to be hitting a different kind of key uh, foundational truth or doctrine of the Christian faith. And so if you're like, hey, I missed week one, that's okay. Uh, if you're like, hey, I didn't do the reading, or I, I got the book, and, and the book is like way too thick, and I like books with pictures, like, that's okay. Just come, enjoy a meal together, uh, and then um, know that we'll be teaching and discussing uh, what's in the book, but you don't have to be prepared that way. We just, we want it to be something where we're growing together as uh, a church uh, in relationship, but also in our foundations of what we believe. Uh, and so um, what we're going to do today is finish up a series that we began all the way back in September in the book of Daniel called uh, Life in Exile, Life for Eternity. And so if you have your discipleship guide, you can grab that. We're going to be in what's called week 11. Uh, we're going to be looking at chapters 11 and 12 today of Daniel. It's a lot, so I'm just going to preface it uh, with that. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of reading. We want to make sure that God's Word is out there. Uh, and so... Um, the first half of Daniel, right, we talked about this last week, it's got all the stories that we learned in Sunday school. Or, or maybe if you're a new believer, not a Christian, first time to church, first time you're hearing these stories about um, some people who were brought into exile in Babylon and how God um, just, just helped them remain faithful uh, even with some pretty big challenges. The second half of Daniel, though, uh, is kind of all these kind of, I hate to say fantastical, but fantastical visions uh, that God gives to Daniel to let him know what is happening in history, what will happen in the future, and how God's story of redemption ends. And so that's kind of what we've been chopping up a, a little bit. And last week we, we saw Daniel chapter 10, where um, Daniel, 90, 85 years old, right, fourth quarter uh, of his life, not even that, two-minute warning of the fourth quarter, like this is it, this is all he's got. And, and he's met by this angelic vision. Could be Jesus, could be an angel. We didn't really land on, on what that could be. But like he's given this amazing vision. And we didn't get to talk about the vision last week because all we saw was, was how this angelic being in the presence of God wanted Daniel to be comforted. And so we saw at the end of chapter 10 and verse 19, this, this, uh, this being say to Daniel, You are greatly loved. So you don't have to fear. God wants you to have peace. He wants you to have wholeness. And the outcome of that, of knowing that you're greatly loved, not having to fear, having wholeness that comes from God, is that you can now go and be strong and courageous, regardless of whatever circumstances you are going through. And so that was all of Daniel unpacking what it was like to get the vision. And then today, this is the vision. And it's a lot. So here we go. Daniel chapter 11, we'll be looking at some big questions. Uh, last week we saw, does God love me? Does God hear me? We said yes and amen, he does. This week it's, God, what are you doing? Will your purposes prevail? 
how should I now live and where is some hope? So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn to Daniel chapter 11. I'm going to start with verses 1 through 4. Uh, we've got this broken up into five sections, um, and uh, I'll just read and we'll talk about it. Here we go. Daniel 11, 1 through 4 says this. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. This is actually the, the being talking to Daniel. Verse 2. It says, And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia. A fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he's become strong through his riches, he shall stir up against uh, the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise and he shall rule with great domination and do as he wills. And as soon as he's arisen, his king shall be broken, uh, his kingdom rather, shall be broken and divided towards the four winds of heaven. But not to his posterity, nor according to the authority which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. All right, let's just stop for a quick moment. I love this first phrase in uh, verse 2 where the angel's like, hey, behold, now, here it is. I'm going to tell you the truth. Daniel's been worried about the spiritual apathy of his people. He's wondering why his people uh, aren't returning from exile. Like the Babylonians, they're gone and defeated. The Persians are here now. And the Persians, we said last week, right, they're like, they're like hey, um, People of God, hey, Jews, you can go back to Jerusalem and rebuild your temple. You can worship again. You can go back to church. You can go to community group. You can read your Bible. You can do all those things. And the people of God are like, eh, it's hard. Eh, I got a lot going on. Like, oh, I don't know. I Actually, I like Babylon better. And so what's interesting about that, right, is Daniel's like, what, what, tell me what's wrong with with why my people aren't being more active. Instead, God, God goes, well, actually, I'm going to answer your question with what you didn't ask for. He's just saying here, I've been active in the recent past. I will be active today. I will be in the future. And I'm going to do stuff that you're not even going to see. So God's answer to Daniel about the current apathy that he's seeing from his people is to actually just say, let me show you all of it for a second. And wouldn't we love that? Just to know the whole plan. And, and yet, I think we'd be really overwhelmed. And I think if we're really honest, God's good to us to not show us all the things um, that he's doing at any given point. Or, or even laying out what the plan is that he's going to do. Because I think most of us, if we saw the plan, would say, mm, I got something better. I'm not saying it would be better. I'm saying we would think that we would have something better. But see, God's all-knowing, right? He's all-loving. He's, he's wise. He's powerful. So like when God lays out a plan, we, we, we can know that it's the best. And so here he's just laying out a few things. Alexander the Great's going to show up. He, here's what's going to happen after the Persians kind of deal. And, and what's interesting as well is that the timing of this vision for Daniel is towards the end of his life. And I'm wondering if that's intentional. Where, where God's kind of saying, hey, Daniel, now that you've kind of endured, like Daniel, you've been faithful, you've made it through all this, now I'm going to let you know what I was doing. Now I'm going to let you know what I'm going to do. Because I think if he, if he told, you know, 15, 18-year-old Daniel back in chapter 1, he's plucked from his family and brought into the king's, you know, you know eunuch brigade, I think Daniel would be like, I don't know if I like this plan. But God's like, no, no, I, I was working something there. I'm working something now, and everything that I say is going to happen is going to happen. And so that leads us to verses 5 through 30. Um, guys, all right, 
I ran 12 miles yesterday. I know you all wanted to know that. I don't even know why I said that right now. I'm going to say, like, this is an endurance thing we're about to do here, okay? We're going to go verses 5 through 30, okay? I'm just going to read them. You got your Bible? We'll talk about them. Not every detail of all it. It's a big chunk. But he continues his vision. And as you look at this, I want you to kind of consider it for Daniel as a brief history of the future. God's about to lay out everything that's going to happen after Daniel's life for a significant amount of time in, in, in terms of politics and all these different things. All right, here we go. Five through 30, let's go. And then the king of the south, that's, that's Egypt, shall be strong. But one of his princes shall be stronger than he, and he shall rule, and his authority shall be great. And after some years, they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north, that's the Syria area, to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure. But she shall be given up, and her attendants who fathered her, and he who supported her in those times. And from a branch from her roots, and one shall arise in his place. He shall come against the army, and enter the fortress of the king of the north. And he shall deal with them, and shall prevail. And he shall carry off to Egypt their gods, and their mental images, and their precious vessel, vessels of silver and gold. And for some years he shall refrain from attacking the king of the north. Then the latter shall come into the realm of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. His sons shall wage war and assemble a great multitude of great forces, which shall keep coming and overflowing and passing through. And again shall carry the war as far as his fortress. Then the king of the south shall move with rage, shall come out, fight against the king of the north. And he shall raise a great multitude, and it shall be given into his hand. When the multitude is taken away, his heart shall be exalted. He shall cast down tens of thousands. But he shall not prevail. For the king of the north again shall rise a multitude, greater than the first. And after some years he shall come on with a great army and abundant supplies. In those times many shall rise against the kings of the south. And the violent among your own people shall lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision. But they shall fail. And then the king of the north shall come and overthrow up siege works and take a well-fortified city. The forces of the south shall not stand, nor even his best troops, for they shall be no strength to stand. But he who comes against him shall do as he wills, and none shall stand before him. And he shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his hand. He shall set his face to come with the strength of his whole kingdom. He shall bring terms of an agreement and perform them. He shall give him the daughter of women to destroy the kingdom, but he shall not stand or be to his advantage. Afterwards, he shall turn his face to the coastlands, shall capture many of them, but a commander shall put an end to his insolence. Indeed, he shall turn his insolence back upon him, and he shall turn his face back towards the fortress of his own land. But he shall stumble and fall, and shall not be found. Verse 20. Then shall arise in this place one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom. But within a few days he shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. In his place shall arise a contemptible person whom the royal majesty has not been given. And he shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the prince of the covenant. And from the time that alliance is made with him, he shall act deceitfully and he shall become strong with a small people. Without warning, he shall come to the richest parts of the province. And shall do neither what his fathers nor his father's fathers have done, scattering among them plunder, spoil, and goods. He shall devise plans against strongholds, but only for a time. 
And he shall stir up his power and his heart against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall wage war with an exceedingly great and mighty army. But he shall not stand, for plots shall be devised against him. Even those who eat his food shall break him. His armies shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. And as for the two kings, their hearts shall be bent on doing evil, that they shall speak lies at the same table, but to no avail. For the end is yet to be at the time appointed. He shall return to his land with a great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant. He shall work his will and return to his own land. At the time appointed, he shall return and come to the south, that's Egypt, but shall not be this time as it was before. For ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged, take action against the holy covenant, that's God's people, and he shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. (sighs) Okay, what's going on? This is, like I said, Daniel getting a history of the future. Imagine you're at the end of your life, and you're like, God, what's my legacy going to be? Why, why is my family not being faithful? What's going on with the church? What's going on with the people of God? What's going on in our nation and country? And God's like, <laughs> let me tell you, you might be glad you're in the last two minutes of your life. Because the reason, that he, Daniel's like, hey, there's, there's all this apathy. They're not rebuilding fast enough. God, the people of God aren't in ascendancy. And God says, well, actually, what's going to happen is a kingdom up in Syria and a kingdom in Egypt are going to be fighting back and forth over and over and over again. And the highway they're going to take, their I-5, their State Street between Seattle and Vancouver, B.C., is right here in Marysville. And Canada's going to come down and invade and they're going to attack Seattle. And Seattle's going to come up, and they're going to invade, and they're going to attack Vancouver. It's going to go back and forth, and back and forth. And y'all here in Snohomish County, you're kind of stuck. That's what he's saying. It's like the people of God, you're right there in the middle. And every time it looks like one side has it, man, they've got their king, they've got their, what, great multitudes. It says it doesn't last. Sometimes we see here there's internal political struggles. Right, like a guy rises up and some advisor's like, ah, I think I can do better. Like, this is so Game of Thrones. It really is. And any of us that got that reference were like, oh, are we even believers now? Okay. A lot of intrigue. A lot of back and forth. And, like, and here's what's interesting. I, you're like, oh, wait, should, should Christians talk about politics? Should we care about what's going on in the world? Well, the Lord of all creation just laid out the political machinations of two massive nations over the course of 150 years in such great detail. The historians, you can read commentaries, they're able to marry this up, like, on point. Like, when God calls his shots, they always go down. And that's what's happening. Again, we see that God is the one who is in control of the great story. The Egypt and Syria can do whatever they want, but really they're just doing what human kingdoms always do, right? We fight. We fight for power. We fight for supremacy. We fight for prosperity. And it's always fleeting. So there's three key truths I want us to get from this section before we move on. Number one is this, as Daniel's looking at this massive section of the history of the world that he's not even going to see. 
It says there's, there's times of long suffering. So number one is this. Us experiencing God delayed is not us seeing God defeated. Us experiencing God delayed is not us seeing God defeated. I mean, 150 years, guys, generations are going to be born, live, and die, and not see the final outcome of what God's talking about here. And true to form, you, you take this as, this is kind of a vision of, of the end of days, but really the, the end of kind of this, this older dispensation of just, you know, God working only through the temple and through that covenant, not working through, through Jesus. That we can look at the end of history in the book of Revelation and say, hey, generations are going to come, generations are going to go, we're going to remain faithful. Us not seeing God working the way we want him to doesn't mean somehow that God's been defeated. There's always going to be more than we can see or understand. And so, however, what that should reveal to us is that there is an actual real conflict going on. That there is a conflict between good and evil. And, and I mean, take heart, Jesus said, I've overcome the world. Jesus overcomes evil. But that doesn't mean that there's not a conflict experienced. And so I think that's important for us as Christians, to know that there's a legitimate struggle between darkness and evil, between forces opposed to God's reign and his goodness and light, that there's moments in our lives where God does show us the whole conflict. It says, hey, I want you to know how the conflict goes, but it's always present. It's always there. Last week we looked at some more like spiritual realities. Here God's like laying out the historical things that are happening, but he's saying there's, there's a connection here. That like, the reason that for some of us, maybe idealistically, we're like, Seattle peaked in the 90s, was because we, you know, maybe that's because when we grew up, and we're like, oh man, there's great music, tech was going up and all that stuff, because it, it never arrives. Because certainly we can say our region, like in the last five years, for sure, has experienced great decay. Downtown Seattle's not what it was. State Avenue here in Marysville is not what it was. And so there's always rising and falling. There's always conflict until God comes back and it all ends. So he's saying, I don't want you to think because you're seeing a delay or experiencing a delay, that means God's defeated. He's always present. There's these conflicts between people and God. That's because of sin. People against each other because of sin. Even against ourselves, that shame we feel, that disconnection that we feel, that, that, that aspect of like, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't want to do it. Or I know I'm not supposed to do this, yet I keep doing it. We will all see conflict, experience conflict, feel conflict, and at times we will engage in conflict. And so what does that mean? That means number two. You and I are in a battle whether you want to believe that or not, whether you like it or not, we're in a battle regardless of whether we like it or not. And I know you're like, well, hey, I mean, Jesus says he's gentle and lowly and he came to give us rest. And you just talked about, you know, that, that, that to fear not and that we're greatly loved and, and that we're given peace. Yes, all of those things are true. And there's a real battle. And I don't know if I saw the meme this week or whatever it was, but it was like, you know, hey, um, you know, what do you call somebody who doesn't know that they're in a fight? The loser. 
And it's because if you're in a battle and don't know it, you're going to get your little behind kicked. So before I was a pastor, uh, I was in marketing for 11 years. And for eight years, one of my clients was, was Starbucks. And, and Starbucks, in the, in the early 2000s, they're popping out Frappuccinos. Everybody's getting, you know, excited about that. They, they are like, you know, bent on world domination. I think Starbucks made a movie at one point. Everyone's like, let's go see the new Starbucks movie. Like, that's a real thing that happened. It's called Aquila and the Bee. Okay, we're way off topic. So, but like, I worked in the headquarters in 2007, and that was right before the recession began. And, and, and we, as kind of their marketing agency, said, hey, Starbucks, what we're seeing and hearing is that McDonald's and Dunkin' Donuts, are, they're, just, they're just trashing you guys. Like, they are taking market share left and right. And Starbucks just goes, McDonald's? That's how they sounded. Uh, McDonald's, Dunkin' Donuts, uh, they're not our competition. We are a whole class unto ourselves. We are Starbucks. Perhaps you have seen us in Zoolander. Right? Like, they're like, we are the great cultural force. And, and so we just kind of said, like, oh, okay. Like, we don't compete with them. Well, over the next year and a half, Starbucks had to close like several hundred stores, particularly in the East Coast, where Dunkin' Donuts for some reason reigns supreme. If you ever drink that stuff, it is like, it's like worse than like what's in um, the uh, rest area when like the little people are like, here's a free cup, right? Do they do that anymore? I don't know. Don't go to rest areas. Okay. So like they were, they were just getting slaughtered. And McDonald's is like, hey, you got an egg muffin? We'll give you a coffee and we'll just pump a bunch of sugar in it. Here you go. And so after a year of Starbucks closing stores down, they came back and they're like, we will defeat McDonald's and Dunkin' Donuts if our last breath depends on it. And we're like, let's go. And like, like, then they got into it. And, you know, they're all still fighting. I don't know. None of those places have great coffee. Whatever. I still go there. It's fine. I'm probably addicted at this point. Okay. The point being is if you don't know you're in a battle, you're going to lose. So maybe you're like, I don't like that battle language. I don't like that, you know, I, 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 this sounds so difficult. I like peace. I just want you to know conflict is not an optional activity for a Christian. Because there's always a spiritual conflict in play. It doesn't mean you need to be fearful or terrified, but, um, I mean, in the New Testament, Paul's writing a letter to um, the church in Ephesus, and he talks about our battle being a spiritual one. In Ephesians 6, 12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So, Know you're in a battle, but know who you're in a battle with or what you're in a battle with. So it's not other people. It's systems, it's structures, it's spiritual things. So that brings us to number three. I think this is incredibly important. Number one, right? Experiencing God delays, not, not us seeing him defeated. Number two, we're in a battle whether you like it or not. Number three, you better pick the right team. If there's a battle going on, if there's a conflict going on, you better darn well make sure that you are on the right team, that you're on the winning team, that you're on the good team. And you're like, well, how, how do I know if I am? Like, like what does that look like? Like, I mean, I, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a believer. Like, I don't really know. Like, or maybe you think, say you are. If you're navigating this world, a world that has sin, a world that has injustice, 
a world that has power imbalances, a world that has all sorts of different horrible things going on. That has governments and media and culture that are opposed to the God of the Bible. And as this world ebbs and flows and, and denies reality that has been true forever on what men and women are, on all sorts of different things, on when life begins, and, and, and you never find yourself feeling in conflict with like hard progressives, hard right. I think I just went left and right. I don't know, I'm dyslexic, okay. Like if you never find yourself feeling a sense of conflict, I don't know if I like where this is going. Or, or I don't know if I agree with all of that. Then that should be a big spiritual red flag. And if you're somebody who grew up in the church, you're somebody who claims to be a Christian, and you're just consuming and following whatever, like the prevailing culture is doing at any given point, a prevailing culture that is not in line with the God of the Bible, Again, a red flag. That means there's an opportunity to ask yourself what team you're actually on. Or, or maybe you're like, maybe, like, maybe you're on the right team, but you're just even fighting the wrong direction. It's time to repent. See, while we're in Christ, I want you to know that we serve the Prince of Peace. The peace comes with the acknowledgement of a very real conflict. That Jesus says, yes, I'm going to go and fight for you. And that Jesus is the one that solves the greatest conflict that matters between a holy, just, perfect God and us who have sin, rejection, rebellion. And so Jesus wins this conflict not by killing, but by dying. And so while Jesus fights for us, that doesn't mean we're not engaged in a battle. But what it does mean is that the inevitability of God's victory should lead us to great courage, to great endurance, to, to, great, like, to, to great boldness. To say, okay, I can engage in this spiritual conflict. I can endure in a season where, like, like Daniel, who went 90 years in exile. Daniel never got to go back home. But he was in line with the Lord. He was on the right team, even as a high official of the government. And so we should have a bit of courage to resist evil, to resist sin, to engage in these spiritual battles with great com uh, confidence, knowing that the conflict is not momentary, but it will come to an end. But I will tell you, as Daniel sees here, it might get tougher before it gets easier. Let's read these next verses, 31 to 45. 31 to 45 says this. It's talking about this kind of like really dark ruler that rises up. It actually did happen. Um, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and the fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offerings. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who are violent, uh, who, sorry, who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among these people shall make many understand. Though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. And when they stumble, they shall receive a little help. And many shall join themselves to them, that's the little help, with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble or be brought low is what that means. So they may be refined 
purified and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. And shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers, to the ones beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god. For he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these. A God whom his fathers didn't know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortress with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and and shall divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. But the king of the north shall rest upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen, with many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overthrow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land. That's like the promised land. And tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand. Edom and Moab and the main parts of the Amorites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries. The land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and silver, of the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him. He shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Last sentence. Yet he shall come to his end. And none shall help him. Okay, three things happening in this section. Um, this is this great ruler that's risen up. He actually rose up in history. We talked a little bit about this in Daniel chapter 8. His name's Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, and he um, was this nasty king that kind of rose up without actually being royal. He's got it's a very conflicted past, and, and he got defeated in battle. As you can see, there's times where he advances, but then it just talks about like all the nations against him kind of coming back and forth. And yeah, he had his moment, but overall, he got trashed and kicked around quite a bit. And so what he did is, as he's getting defeated by the world, he says, hey, you know what I can do? This people of God, this nation of Israel that's in the middle, I can't defeat these great nations, but I can defeat this one. And so he goes after the temple. And you see this phrase about the abomination that makes desolate in verse 31. Um, Jesus talks about it um, later as the abomination of desolation. Um, Talking about this horrible thing that happened where he went into Jerusalem and he massacred thousands of people during a Sabbath worship service. He's like, I know when I'll get them. I'll get them when they're worshiping their God. And then he goes through more persecution He enters the holies of holies. He sacrifices a pig on the altar, which was to make it spiritually unclean, ritually unclean at that point. And then he puts in a wicked high priest. He says there's no more daily sacrifices. Nobody can serve the God of the Bible. God's word cannot be taught to the next generation. Discipleship ends. Hebrew scriptures, like I said, outlaws. Um, And so human sacrifices begin to be made All of this happens years after Daniel passes. 
And so he's saying, hey, there's a time where it's going to look like defeat. But then that last phrase of these verses is so important, where it says, yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him. That it will end. And the challenge is, in the interim time, we're always looking for substitute saviors. When it looks like defeat, when it looks like God isn't winning, we stop trusting what his actual plan and the trajectory of history is, and we start to look for counterfeit saviors. And so there's this phrase um, up in verse, um, oh gosh, uh, I want to say it's in verse 33, rather verse 34. When they stumble, rather they're brought low, they shall receive a little help. That's actually a reference to um, kind of this, this political military force called the Maccabees that came in. If you're, if you're a fan of Friends, you're like, you remember Ross coming in. And then the Maccabees showed up. And that's a really, really old reference. This is why I shouldn't do pop culture at all. Okay. These people come in. And they actually have some success for a while. They are a little help. They do restore right worship for a time, for a season. And some of the people of God are like, you know what? We're tired of getting trampled. Like, let's, like we, 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 faith, family, you football, you know, God, guns, let's go. And that's what they're doing. And they're like, let's just go do it. And so they join in with that kind of the, the, the violent overthrow. We are going to reestablish the nation of the Lord. And it says the wise bring many more to understanding. But those who kind of kind of follow the substitute Savior, like, they're not actually lauded. Because the reality is violence and instability leads to more violence and instability. So when Jesus shows up, right, he's not a Savior that we says who overwhelms by killing. Instead, he dies. That's how he overcomes. Through resurrection. Through showing that he is the one through life and death come. And so it does say as well, number three, that first one, that there's um, the abomination of desolation. Number two, um, that um, there's substitute saviors. But number three, it does say that the wise may still stumble. When it says stumble, that's brought low. And I want to be clear, like in this conflict, you can do everything right. We won't. I won't. You won't. We can do all the right things because there is sin in the world, we may still suffer what feels like defeat. But he says it's for a purpose. He says the wise will stumble, in verse 35, so that they may be refined, purified, made white until the time of the end. That the purpose of them suffering is not purposeless, but it's to produce refinement, purification, growth, Put another way, something I chewed on this week, a loss is not always a loss. A loss is not always a loss. Sometimes we suffer losses to produce and to gain growth that God has for us. There's moments in time that, you know, we just, we, we cry out and we're like, God, we're suffering. God, we want deliverance. I want you to know, don't let anybody tell you that's a bad prayer. You're not healthy, pray for health. You're struggling, pr pray to overcome. You want relationships restored, pray that they get restored. That, that's fine. Please do, like, that is a good prayer. But there are times God does absolutely, dramatically change our circumstances. 
And there's times that he helps us endure. And I'm not just saying that, like trying to play both sides kind of deal. Like that's like the narrative of Scripture, that there are times where God um, protects his people in an ark through 40 days of floods. There's times God, with a mighty hand, takes his people out of slavery. There's times that God does part the Red Sea, leads his people through, and then overwhelms the evil Egyptian army and drowns them and says, you're free now. And there's times that God day by day, hour by hour, season by season, helps his people endure through a period of great wilderness for 40 years. There's times that, for Daniel, that he sustained God's people in exile for that promised 70 years. And God says, I'm still active even through periods of spiritual apathy that we might have, or that we might see others have, or we might see in our culture. And God even sustains his people through 400 years of no prophetic word and silence until Jesus arrives. Where hope is born. And where we see the turning point of history, where the new covenant, not made in a temple, but shown on the cross, his sacrifice, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. Again, we, that's why we take communion every week to remember that a loss is not always a loss. Sometimes the loss is our greatest gain. We're a couple months away from Good Friday, and that w- Good Friday is a loss, but we still call it Good Friday because we know that Jesus was the sacrifice in our place, that he took our defeat that we don't have to be the ones that are overwhelmed and defeated, but instead, he took our defeat in our place. And it's Good Friday because of the promise of the resurrection. That there is more hope to come. We see that here in chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, hope in the resurrection. Okay, it says this. At that time, shall arise Michael and the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such it has never been since there was a nation until that time. That's after he said all this other trouble. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who are asleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, And those who turn many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So the angel's giving Daniel this vision. Hey, hey, you know what? I just showed you all the politics. It's going to be rough. By the way, it could get even rougher. That there's going to be a time of great distress, but in the time of great trouble, a greater deliverance is coming, and that greater deliverance is the glorious resurrection that we will receive. That there's a spiritual reality that as Christians, that yes, we want God's kingdom to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Like, yeah, work for, for politics and economic justice and all, all sorts of things. Like, like, work for human flourishing here and now, yes and amen. But know that we will suffer defeats. It doesn't mean we don't work, we don't fight. But that there is a victory coming, and that victory is a glorious resurrection. 
that you can endure with joy and hope life today because you know this isn't all there is. That the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a hope that comes in the final resurrection where those whose faith and trust is in the truth. And Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They go to everlasting life. And those that don't go to contempt and shame. And so, here it is. It's announced. There's a book of life. Is your name in it? Like, how do you know? Like, you can know your name's in it if in faith you are crying out to God to be your Savior in Jesus Christ. That that, that is where our actual hope is. That... He's laid it all out. He tells you who wins. You get to pick the winning team because you're already told who wins. Right? Like, I don't don't know who bets on football games or whatever, but like, if you bet on the Seahawks last week, good luck. I'm not saying pick the night. Okay. Pick the winning team. And you're like, that just sounds so simple. Like, like, what, 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 do you, what do you mean? Like, like, can I do that? Can, do I get to be the one that chooses? Like, well, you might experience a choice, but that's also, if you're saying like, yes, I want to be on that team. I want to be on team Jesus. No, that's the Holy Spirit already at work in you. Bringing you and birthing in you new life. You'll start a new journey. You won't know every aspect of how that journey is going to go, and there's going to be challenges, but no that it ends in victory. See, Daniel for sure, like he endured to the end. And he was very active in, right, you know, he's very influential, politics, government, all those things. But like the rest of us probably aren't going to be that influential like Daniel, who gets to oversee affairs of kingdoms and all that, right? So how do we live? What do we do now? Yeah, I want to be on that team, or I am on that team. Like, like I mean, Daniel was at least able to have some influence and shape some things. What about me? What about us? Like, we're just a little church here in Snohomish County. I got just my family. You know, you got just your job. You got, like, whatever you've got. Like, what, what's your little kingdom? How do we live? How do we have hope? What does conflict and perseverance look like? Last verses, and then we close. Verses 5 through 13 says this. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, these are these kind of spiritual figures, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left towards the heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time times and a half of time when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end and all these things would be finished. And I heard, but I did not understand. Heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcomes of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering 
is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be a hundred, uh, sorry, 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. This is this last vision Daniel's given. And I, man, and it just says, Daniel's like, I heard, but I didn't understand. Anybody, anybody else? That, that was me reading over this every day for five days. I heard, I see it, I don't understand. Like, that's an okay place to be too. But the question that's longing, how long shall it be till the end? This angel's asking this other, you know, kind of spiritual being again, you know, how long, how long, how long? And then it's kind of like, until it's finished. Until everything that God has said will come to pass. Like, I love how that's not that specific, other than until it's done. He's like, that's not the thing you need to worry about. Just know it'll be done. And then Daniel's like, whoa, whoa, whoa hold up, hold up. Um, what's the outcome? And again, like, this should be so encouraging for us, because how many visions in the book of Daniel has he received? Like, several how many trials has he been through? A whole bunch. And he's endured. And still at 90 years old, Daniel's like, God, do you win? I'm not sure yet. Like, help my unbelief. I believe. That should be so encouraging for all of us. What's the outcome until it's finished, he says. That doesn't mean God's holding out on us. But sometimes we're not given all that we ask for or that we want. We're given what we need. Came across this quote actually this morning um, by Henry Nowen, and he says, um, "You can't see the whole path ahead, but there's enough light to take the next step." That's what it looks like for us to follow Jesus. That's what it looks like to place your faith in Jesus. You should know that's where forgiveness of sins comes. You should know that's where eternal life comes. You should know that Jesus is your Savior and He's your King and He will be your new Lord and you will, you, will, you will be made new and you will go on a new path and you can still say, I hear, but I don't understand. But I have enough to take that next step. So what's that next step for you? Is it for the first time? Say, Jesus, I, I'm not a great king. I'm not a great queen of my own kingdom. Jesus, I have sinned. Sin's been done to me. I've committed sin. I know there's separation between you and I. Jesus, I want to be on your team. You can place your hope and faith in Jesus and have the promise of eternal life forever and new life today. And your next step is to be baptized. To go into the water symbolizing Jesus' death and burial. To come out of the water signifying Jesus' resurrection to say publicly, I am a Christian. My faith is in Jesus Christ alone. What's your next step? See, for Daniel, maybe, maybe you already are a Christian and you're just kind of feeling a little brought low. You're feeling stumbling. You're feeling like, man, I just don't know where the winds are coming from. And that's what was such a joy on Wednesday night to get to gather together and just kind of study God's word and have a good meal and just, just feel a wind. I love that this being tells Daniel, like, hey, the, the time of abomination, all that stuff, that's going to last. It's, it's going to end. That actually does, again, line up with history with that character I was telling you about before. Those 290 days, kind of the other 1,290 days. But what do we do? He says in verse 9 and 13 to Daniel, 
go your way to the end. Like, what's your conflict? Do the everyday, ordinary, faithful things. Pray. Read God's word. Seek humility. Seek knowledge. Like, in a world that is incredibly anxious, through the power of the Holy Spirit, be peaceful. In a world that's concerned with, with scarcity, where you get a bunch of people showing up to the World Economic Forum trying to figure out how to make eggs more expensive, right? Be someone who's exceedingly generous. In a world that is incredibly hopeless, have joy. Have hope. Work in the place God has you. Love the family you've been given. Be involved in the church that you're a part of. Serve the community that you're in. Love the people around you. And then he says to Daniel, you will have rest and you will have resurrection. And that resurrection is not just a future of wandering and, and wondering, but it's one of certainty. And it's one of inheritance. He says, you're going to have an allotted place to stand. That in Christ, as we endure and do the faithful things now, trusting Jesus as our salvation, not so that we will be saved, we work because we are saved, that we can know that our eternal destiny is this allotted place of inheritance that is set aside prepared, secured, safe, prosperous, and joyful. So whatever is happening today, whatever happens in the future, before the end of the days, anything that happens that is unsettling, that is upsetting, that is painful, just know then you're not at your destination. That we're not yet at our destination. Know that our destination is rest. It is peace. It is joy. So I just want to encourage us to not pull back when God's calling us to press in. That Jesus is our strength so we can be dependent on him and we can be resolute because of him. So whatever you have going on, know that God hears you. Know that God loves you. Know that God is good. Know that God is winning. Know that God does win so we can be strong and courageous and endure with hope and joy as we continue to trust Jesus. Let's pray.